This is Episode 8, Hugh Collingborn, Getting Started on a Budget. Hello, and welcome to the eCourse Domination Podcast, where we deep dive into all aspects of online course creation, from concept to marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Tim Cooper, and it's a pleasure to have you with me today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the eCourse Domination Podcast. Now, one of the most common questions that I come across when I'm doing my research on course creation and helping people create successful courses is what equipment do I need? And also people are quite concerned about the cost involved, whether it's going to actually cost them a lot to get started. So today I'm interviewing Hugh Collingborn, who has a course up on Udemy, and it's all about how to create professional quality videos on an amateur budget. So I thought it'd be really good to get him on a call and just ask him about his experience with the different types of equipment and how he started out and how he's progressively improved his equipment and updated his equipment along the way. But before we get onto that call, here's a very quick product endorsement. When it comes to planning and outlining my content, I find using mind maps extremely useful. Whether I'm performing market research, designing a course, or planning a podcast episode, all my thoughts, ideas, and research go into a mind map. I love mind mapping. Everything can flow out of my mind in no particular order. The initial list can look quite chaotic, actually. But using the power of the mind map, chaos can quickly be transformed into a logical and polished flow of ideas. MindMeister is my mind mapping software of choice, and now with Meister Task, you can seamlessly transfer your mind map into an easy-to-use task management system. I've got no excuses not to be organised. If you'd like to know more about the features and benefits of MindMeister, please visit my affiliate link at ecoursedomination.com forward slash MM. That's M for Mike, M for Mike. You could even try it for free. Okay, so before we actually get into the actual interview, I've got some very exciting news I want to share with you. I've just started work on my next course, which is all about not only market research, but how to get into the mind of your prospective client or, or how to get in, into the mind of your prospective student and to actually provide the information and teach them what they're actually looking for and wanting to know, which is obviously a very, very important part, no matter whether you're creating a, a digital product, an ebook or a course, firstly, knowing firstly that it's a, a popular market is a good thing, but knowing exactly what your audience is looking for is gold because it's going to really improve your chances of success. So if you want to know anything particular about this particular topic, please email me at asktim at ecoursedomination.com. That's asktim at ecoursedomination.com, and I'll make sure that I'll include your questions and, and, and answer your questions in the content from the outset. So today I'm interviewing Hugh Collingborn, who's had a very diverse background as you hear in the call. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, Hugh has got a course on Udemy about how to create a course on a budget. And I know that a lot of you have questions about cameras and microphones, lighting, software, all that sort of stuff. So I thought it'd be wonderful to get Hugh on the call and ask him some questions that you've been asking. So without any further delay, let's get over to the interview. Today's guest has enjoyed a diverse professional background. He has been an author, magazine publisher, editor, and TV broadcaster. With more than 30 years of computer programming experience behind him, he teaches courses on a range of programming topics, as well as a handy course about how to teach online. Hugh Collingborn is a technology director at Sapphire Steel Software, as well as being a very successful online instructor. And now, it's with great pleasure that I welcome you to the show. Welcome, Hugh. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Tim. Um, so, let's uh, talk about a few of the things that I've done. Are there any particular questions that you want to put to me? Yeah, okay. I think, firstly, it would be great if we can just start with a bit of background on, on you, because you have got a, a quite a diverse and uh, impressive background and I think it's important for the people listening to sort of appreciate uh, your experience and where you're coming from. So if you can just give a, a run through on, on some of the things that you've done would be great. Uh, that would take a long time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the programming. So, so I've been programming on and off for about 30 years or so. 
that came about because I was a journalist um, at the time. Well, I, I actually started writing for magazines when I was a teenager, uh, in my early teens, because, believe it or not, I used to keep tropical fish, and I couldn't afford all the things I wanted. So I thought, well, there are you know, tropical fish magazines, let's write articles. So that's how it all started. And then later on, I was writing for pop music magazines. This is in the 1980s. Um, I did try a proper job once, and going into an office every mm -hmm. day didn't suit me. So I thought, well, you know, let's see if I can be a freelancer. And this was at the time when all the new romantic groups in London were starting. You know, people like Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, uh, Adamant, and all those. And um, I, I just thought it would be fun to go and interview some pop stars. So I did that for a while. And then I was working for um, a publisher that did some computer magazines as well. And I sort of slid into, into doing computer magazines, uh, writing for computer magazines. I'd started, uh, I just bought myself a PC. PCs hadn't really been even launched very long at that time. And um, I decided that I wanted to learn how to program it. And so that gave me a bit of bit more technical knowledge than most journalists at that time had. So when, you know, when a publisher wanted to do something on computers, I had more knowledge than, than most other writers that were available. There weren't really, there, well, there wasn't a big computer magazine industry at that time. Uh, and that's how I slid into that. Uh, later on, you mentioned about TV and videos and so on. The video stuff came about when I was writing for a magazine called PC Plus. It was one of the top selling computer magazines, PC magazines in Britain at the time. And they were doing cover DVDs. And one day the editor said, wouldn't it be great if we did some sort of column on on the DVD? And asked me if I wanted to have a go at it. And I said, yes, sure. I'll, I'll do a video column. And then I thought, I don't know what a video column is. I'd never seen video columns. I'd have to invent this. So the first time I went in and I just spoke to camera, I thought, this is really boring. I watched it and I thought, this is really dull, me just talking to camera. So the person who was making the videos, I said, could, what can we do? Can we do some, make it more interesting? And she, she said, well, you know, I, I, I do all my video editing on the Mac and I can do special effects. And I saw what she was doing and I said, well, let's go for it. Let's do little like mini movies. And so we, we did for a couple of years all sorts of things. Um, we even went, when I went to um, a computer fair, Comdex in, in Las Vegas, we decided to go out into Nevada desert and do something about Area 51, you know, all, all the alien technology that's supposed <laughs> to be, according to the X-Files, supposed to be developed out there. And all kinds of stuff we did. And so I'd forgotten about that for a bit. I'd, I'd left that behind. I'd stopped doing the video uh, tutorials and, and columns for PC+. And then Udemy came along. This was in 2011. I'd, at the time, I just published a paperback book about Ruby programming. So Ruby's a programming language. And one of the people from Udemy contacted me. I mean, Udemy was a tiny operation at the time. There were very, very few instructors. Um, completely different from what it is today. And so they were actually going around looking for somebody who could teach courses. And they knew that I, I could uh, teach Ruby. And so they came to me and said, do, do you mind having to go as a course? And at the time, I nearly said, "I'm not, I, you know, no, I don't want to do it. Because I, I could not believe that there was going to be a big market in people uh, subscribing to online courses. I mean, looking at that now, that seems stupid because we know there is a big market. But at the time, there was nothing that convinced me. I nearly said, no, I really don't want to do it. But I thought, well, it might be interesting. So let's give it a go. And that was my first uh, course, a Ruby program for beginners. And it still, to this day, is my, my top-selling course on Udemy. So that's, in in a nutshell, how I you know, my career line from writing for Aquarist magazines to teaching on Udemy. Wow. Yeah. And I say, and now you've gone on and you've got 10 courses on, on, on Udemy. I, I think nine of them being the, uh, the, the programming related courses. That's right, and yeah. then you've got your teach online, like how to teach an online course. And this is just saying that the listeners of this particular podcast, because we are focused on online course development, not only for the Unity platform, but also creating courses for business and, and, uh, and, and business growth and everything else. But let's, let's wind it back to when you were starting to develop your courses for 
now for, now for you to me as a new instructor, were there any particular obstacles that you that you came across, any problems in in the production that you faced, and 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 how did you come? Uh, how did you overcome those? When I started, because it was a software a course based around software about software development, and it was mainly going to be focused on what happens on the screen. So when I started, I I did mostly uh, screen recording uh, using Camtasia uh, for Windows. Uh, and subsequently on, on the Mac. At the, initially, I didn't have a Mac. I only invested in a Mac later when I realized a lot of my students needed guidance on a Mac. So initially, it was all on Windows, and it was screen recording. But then again, this this thing about, you know, the dullness factor, how, how interesting can I make my course? And I realized that it's much more engaging if you, from time to time, at least see a person speaking to you. So with my sorts of courses, it's not absolutely essential that you do, uh, you know, talking head uh, to camera videos. But I just thought it would make the course sparkle a bit more. It would be less repetitious. So I needed to find out what equipment I would need um, without spending too much to to get started in making video recordings of myself. I first of all thought, well, I've got an old video camera, conventional, you know, little Sony tape-based video camera. That that would be fine. And when I looked at the quality of the video it produced, it was absolutely terrible. I mean, it was just, it was a few years old by that time, and technology had moved on. It didn't do HD. It was dreadful. So I realized that was no good. So the first video camera I got was one of these little pocket cameras, um, you know, the one that's about the size of a playing card, a bit thicker than, than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, cost me, I mean, not very much at all. I think it was about 40 or 50 pounds. Uh, what's that? About 60, 70 US dollars. And you'd have to translate it into Australian or whatever other currency, but it's not very much. I just got it from Amazon and it did HD. And it also had lots of things like autofocus and so on. Um, so I just stuck it on a tripod. I had no camera tripod, screwed it in talk to it and that got me my first uh, video recordings and it was okay the problem I then realized was the sound wasn't very good so normally when I do my screencasts I have the microphone I'm using at the moment which is an an old Samsung uh, USB microphone and this has you have to speak to the microphone very close I have a, a pop filter just a bit of you know, nylon fabric stretched over a frame in front of the, the microphone so you don't keep hearing all, all the breathy sounds as I'm speaking into the microphone. But to get a good quality, I have to be a few inches away. Well, when I'm recording myself, I don't want that. I don't want to see the microphone in the video. So I experimented with a few different ways of getting uh, voice recording, good quality voice recording, the first I did was I got another USB microphone called the Blue Yeti, which is a very popular microphone amongst instructors. And that has a range of different ways it can record. And one of the things it can do is it can record at a greater distance from me than my old Samsung USB microphone. So I can put it out of camera shot. It may be maybe two or three feet away from me, but not within the frame of the video. So the, the viewer isn't going to see it. And then what I had to do then was I recorded the audio track from the microphone and my little uh, cheap little video camera was also recording both a video and an audio track. And then I had to go into software uh, in Camtasia or your video editing software, Sony Vegas, whatever software you're using, and you import both those tracks and you can see the little line, the little squiggly line, the waveform of the audio recorded by the camera and by the dedicated microphone, and then you line them up. And once they're lined up, they're synchronized, and you then turn off or silence the poor quality audio recorded by the camera. So that was my first fairly good quality setup. After that, I tried other microphones, and so um, I have a Lavalier lapel microphone. I use that when I'm recording to my uh, other camera, I'll come on to the other camera later. So if you have a, a mm. direct audio input to your camera that can take an external microphone, that's another way of getting better quality sound into the camera 
without having to go through the bother of, of syncing it up in by matching the waveforms in your software. Um, I'll come briefly on to one other factor before we go into maybe some of the more, uh, some of the hardware I got later, some of the cameras and microphones I bought later. But the other thing that I really needed was lighting. I'd now got good quality audio, I'd got good quality HD video, but the lighting wasn't good. I was just recording by natural light from a window, and it's okay if I've got a good sunny day and you know, I can position myself just right. It looks sort of okay, but it's it's not very controllable. So the next thing I did was I bought uh, some fairly cheap lighting, some camera lighting from a, a seller on eBay. And this cost me about 100, 120 pounds, I think, for three lights. They're softbox lights. They're big, um, they're sort of big daylight, uh, in, uh, fluorescent lights. They have to be daylight rated. They have to be for photography. You can't just use any fluorescent light or you'll get a funny colour tinge. And <clears throat> and they just screw into tripods and they have a, a, a what's called a softbox filter, a bit of nylon over the front so they don't get hard shadows. And so again, that was not very expensive, but it got me much better lighting. And for quite some time, that was my main uh, video recording setup. So the whole lot must have set me back about two or three hundred pounds in total lighting, camera, and microphone, and that got me, I think, you know, pretty decent quality. Mm, absolutely, you don't have to don't have to spend a lot. And as you're saying, if you if you are inventive, you can make do with with very little. <clears throat> and now I notice on your on your teaching online course course that your your main focus is on how to produce, you know, professional quality material on a on a budget so and that's one thing that I, I know that the listeners of this podcast would be very interested in because through all my research and from talking to people one of the main things they get tied up on and, and stressed about is equipment cameras and microphones everything else and that's you know, obviously why I'm talking to you uh, today because um, of your experience and and how you've gone on and, and, and progressed through all this different equipment so let's just start at the top of the list and, and talk about your experience with cameras and, and, and what you would recommend these days. Right. Well, for cameras, I think people get far too worked up about getting the right camera. And, you know, people think I must buy an expensive uh, digital camera. And that's, that's wrong. Uh, you've probably already got a camera. I mean, most people probably already have a camera that's going to record perfectly good HD video. It has to be HD. But just about everything, your, your phone probably has an HD, or very likely has an HD camera, and if it's a fairly modern uh, smartphone, or if you've got a tablet, an iPad, or some, some Android tablet, that very probably has uh, a suitable camera in it. Alternatively, if you haven't, you can buy one of these li little mini digital cameras, the sort of thing, whatever the modern equivalent is. I bought mine a few years ago, but they're still available. Anything that's HD video. Um, it's not going to cost very much and, and it's, it would be wrong. It would be a bad use of your money to invest a lot in a high end video camera as your first priority. What people should invest in is a good quality microphone. Mm. You, I think people underestimate the effect of having awful, scratchy, mushy sounding audio with you know background hiss and all you know and it sounds like it's recorded in an empty swimming pool the sort of thing we we've all heard these videos you go into youtube and you click from video to video and you know when you're 30 seconds in that you're not going to be able to watch this video because the sound is just so bad you can't stand listening to this terrible quality sound and i think when people are starting they should pay much much more attention to getting good, good quality sound. It's easy to get a camera. It's not going to cost you very much. As I say, you might already have one if you've got a phone or an iPad or something like that. That's perfectly good quality for what you need to do. Uh, but you shouldn't be prepared to put up with a built-in microphone. It is very, very unlikely to produce really good quality sound. So something like the Blue Yeti is a good all-rounder. Um, or as I said, if you can, if you can get a Lavalier a lapel microphone, if your device, your camera has an input that will accept external audio, 
that is another option. And those lapel microphones, you can get very good quality from those from really quite cheap, uh, you know, something you buy on Amazon for, for just ten twenty dollars don't start off with an expensive one see if the cheap one will do i i use a lapel microphone with my other camera which i'll talk about a little bit which is uh, i i use a, a lumix camera panasonic lumix which is an SL, digital slr cam, camera and that costs several hundred i think that cost me about 650 pounds so that's a lot more expensive wow. than my previous camera and i only went into 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 that i only upgraded my camera because there were specific things I wanted to do, I wanted to have a, a, a an actual zooming lens for better close-up quality, for example, rather than a digital zoom, which is built into the cheaper cameras. And it gave me more ability to, you know, do other things to change the the white balance and so on. So if if you are getting more serious, or if your course is is something that requires very precise control of the video different focal length and all that sort of thing that you know or if you're a already a photographer and you know your way around an slr camera then by all means invest in something uh, a bit more high-end as i i'm describing there with the, the panasonic lumix but when you're starting that really isn't necessary the a, a cheap hd camera under the best quality microphone that you can afford and, and as I say, something like the Blue Yeti is a good all-rounder. That's what people should should be concentrating on. And then the third element is the lighting, which I, I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And, of course, if they're going to be, you know, there has to be some sort of tripod or, or, or way to set up the camera so that they... Uh, so it, that so that's steady and that the the shot is is framed correctly. It, it, it I happen to have an old tripod. I mean, my tripod is about 25 or more years old. When, when I used to do pop music journalism, yeah, it must be about 30 years old. I, when I used to do pop music journalism, <laughs> I, I soon discovered that the photographer was earning more money than I was. So I thought, oh, I'm going to get into photography. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, that's how I ended up getting a tripod. It's, a, it's an old tripod. It's, um, again, something cheap. You might get even if you're working at your desktop or if you're, uh, if you're, you probably are because you're, if you're recording onto your, PC or your Mac with your Blue Yeti, you've probably got a desk in front of you with your microphone and all the software you're using to record on it. So you could even mm. get a desktop tripod, which, and they're really cheap. They're just a tripod that stands a few inches tall and you just, you know, screw whatever you need into the top of it. They, they're normally fairly standard fittings. Um, so that's, a, that's another thing that you could do if you wanted to put your camera on a tripod. Another alternative for tripods or um, or grips for the camera are portable grips that you can... These are often used with things like GoPro cameras. GoPro are little portable cameras. It's the sort of thing that people wear when they're doing action photography. They You often see them mounted on helmets of... You know, people mm. go skiing or, or all those surfing videos where you see people going through the waves that you see on, on YouTube. They're normally done with GoPro cameras, tiny little cameras. And you can get these grip, uh, tri well, uh, grip holders. They, they grip onto different surfaces. They've got, um, you know, sort of things that, that clamp onto different surfaces. You can clamp them onto the side of a table. You can clamp them onto a monitor, um, onto a tree branch if you're filming outside. And for, for a small camera, uh, you, you just then screw that onto the end of, of that, uh, of that camera holder. And that has the advantage. You can put your camera just about anywhere. You can always find somewhere to, to put this grip onto, onto a shelf, onto, you know, a piece of furniture. And so if you want to have flexibility in where you position your camera, then that's another alternative. But it's, it's best with, with one of the small portable cameras. So it's, it's going to have problems holding a, a bigger video camera if that's what you're using. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I should probably finally mention, which people also um, might think about if they're filming or making videos indoors, is the location. When I was do starting out, I just didn't have anywhere that was suitable, was ideal for for making my videos. I didn't have, uh, you know, a dedicated room set aside for doing these. 
And um, so I ended up just doing it in sort of a little landing area, a little space between two rooms. And I just put my camera and my microphone and everything in there. And it's a little cramped area. And But it looked a mess. So I needed a backdrop. And that's the other thing that people can think about if they've got, if they're trying to make professional looking videos, but the room they're working in is just full of, you know, it's just a living room or it's a kitchen or it's just full of junk as mine was. Think about getting some sort of plain backdrop. Uh, I normally use a plain black backdrop. You can just buy these photographic backdrops. Again, you can get them on eBay or, or Amazon. Um, quite inexpensive. I use a cloth backdrop and you just drape it behind you. Um, if you can get it out of focus, if you're using a black backdrop, then that might, that's quite a nice professional effect that seems to be a seamless back background. But if you can't get it out of focus, or if the light is is showing up all the wrinkles in the material, then you might want to go for a backdrop that is obviously a backdrop. So I've got another backdrop, which is a, a sort of a, um, a velvety red backdrop. And I deliberately emphasize the, the wrinkles in it, so it looks like a, like a sort of a curtain style of backdrop, like a backdrop mm. you might get in a, in a presentation in front of a, a, in front of an audience. Sometimes they have these sort of cinema style curtains. So again, that's something we're thinking about. If you're working in a cramped room at home, which many people are, and you can't get something that looks like a professional backdrop, you're just seeing, you know, the rest of your kitchen or, or whatever, <laughs> then think about putting some sort of backdrop behind you to give a plain backdrop. And once you've got that, you're all ready to go. That's fantastic. And I'll just come back quickly to the to the GoPro because that's one thing that I've had personal experience about with my first Udemy course where I was actually doing demonstrations. So I was actually doing stuff with my hands. Yeah. And when you when you put a, a, a head mounted GoPro on and it gives it gives the perspective a, a totally different perspective to just a, a, a static tripod mounted camera that you're actually giving them the view that they would see as they're actually performing that skill. And there's oh, not right. a lot of... So, so you actually wore the GoPro and, and then you videoed your own hands doing things? Correct, yeah. Oh, it, I, it was actually a, I'll copy a sports... i idea. Yeah, no, it, it, I think more people should do it. The uh, it's it's actually a, a sports taping, so I was teaching people how to strap ankles with with uh, with sports tape and that sort of stuff. So yeah. I actually had two cameras going. So I had a I had a lavalier mic going into the the, the microphone jack of the GoPro, and I and I had my smartphone set up on a tripod. So we had the static the static view, but also had then I was wearing the GoPro as I was doing it, and it gives a very very well. It just gives a great perspective of what's happening, what you should see while you're doing the procedure. So anybody who's doing a course where they're uh, demonstrating manual skills should maybe consider using a, a GoPro to give that perspective because, once again, they're not an expensive camera and the head mount cost me something like 10 bucks off uh, eBay. So I just thought I'd throw that one in. Well, I, I haven't done – I mean, obviously, my apart from my How to Make a Course course, I – normally teach programming so i don't have any occasion to do um that sort of video but i do also when i'm not teaching um online i i teach um a martial art called aikido mm. and just out of interest i thought i'd try using a gopro just to see if i could film from the perspective of somebody doing this martial art and that's yep. an interesting thing to do with gopro they also have um a way of strapping the, the camera to your body instead of onto your head. Because um, mm. obviously I don't be wearing, wearing a, any sort of helmet or headgear when I'm doing, you know, mm. thrown around on the mat or throwing other people <laughs> on the mat. But strapping <laughs> exactly. it to my body was a great way of doing it. And it shows you from the perspective of somebody doing this how how you interact with all the other people. And you can, you know, the, the GoPro is really tough. You can, you can be thrown around all over the place and the camera just records mm. it all. So for people mm. who are doing something that requires something sh showing more action, and I, I know people on, on Udemy teach all sorts of fitness subjects and yoga and sports-related subjects, and I'm sure for many types of courses, that uh, sort of first-person perspective would be a great way to, to bring it alive. So yeah, mm. GoPro is, is, is a great camera for, for that. I mean, I should say, you know, I mentioned I've 
got a GoPro, over time, I've invested in more and more equipment. Um, and I, I've reinvested what I've earned um, t- so that I can add... So I make my, my courses more alive. Yeah, I can do d- things in different ways. So I've got the digital SLR camera, the Panasonic. I still use the, the little cheap portable camera that I, I started with. I've got the GoPro. And I've invested in different microphones, the, the, the Pell microphone. I've also got a Zoom microphone. That's worth mentioning as well. If people want to go mm. out uh, on site or out outside to, to uh, record, and get good quality microphone. You can get portable, dedicated microphones. Uh, Zoom is one of the companies that, that makes a range of these that produce really, really good quality audio. So that's, and, and they can also take external microphones if you wanted to use a lapel microphone and record while you're on the move, you know, go out into the countryside, take your portable recording device with you. Or if you wanted to record the audio, um, direct to your lapel microphone strapped uh, sort of connected into your zoom which is strapped somewhere on your body or kept in a pocket and somebody else is filming you or videoing you from a distance you know say you're out in say in a mm. rock climbing course i don't know what people are doing but maybe you're up on the mm. rocks and somebody down below has got the the camera on you well you want to record your audio direct from where you are you can't be shouting down to the person down below mm. So a mm. portable audio recorder for some sorts of courses is is a great thing to have too. But, you know, I've mm. been doing these courses on Udemy since 2011. And I think it's important to say that when I mention the equipment that I've, that I use now, that equipment has been bought with my earnings. I did not start and would, you know, go out to a shop and say, oh, I want one of this. And I want, you know, three microphones and three cameras and mm. a tripod. Not at all. I started spending very, very little, and I got a perfectly good quality course. It's just over time I've wanted to try other ways of, of videoing my courses, and that's when I've invested in in these this other equipment. So, I, I you know, I don't want to beginner instructors to think they've got to buy all this stuff. Absolutely, that is not necessary. It's very nice to have some of this equipment. Um, if you, if you've already made some money from your courses and you want to reinvest so that you can do additional, uh, take additional, um, perspectives when you're filming or, or, or record vid- uh, video and audio in different ways. But when you start, keep it cheap. Don't spend a lot of money. It really, really isn't needed. Mm. That's, that's, that's awesome advice. And uh, that's because as I said, people do get themselves all tied up in knots and get very worried about the equipment. As, as you're saying, it can be a very, very low entry or no entry. People may already have, um, suitable enough equipment on hand. Now we've spoken about the, um, the lightings and the backdrops and, and how you set up your, your home studio. Um, I suppose lighting, lighting is a trick. Like I've got the same lighting kit. That, uh, that you've got. I've got a, I've got a three piece, um, softbox lighting kit. So we, I suppose it's very quickly. You just set the lights up at, at two lights up at 45 degrees out and, and one over the head to make you, make you pop up. But I suppose that's something that they, the, the lighting, they've just got to have to experiment in their, in their own environment because they're going to have their own, uh, ambient light to everything else as well. I mean, often people can get away with, with just ambient, with just daylight. Um, it's not controllable, and you know if you're trying to video on a dull, overcast day, it's going to give you problems. But if you've got somewhere that's convenient with good lighting and it's fairly sunny, the best thing to do is to position yourself close to a window and then put a white, plain white cardboard, a big piece, the sort of piece you can buy for um, people who make picture frames, uh, frame pictures. You can often buy two meter by one meter pieces of absolutely white cardboard and that provides a reflector because mm. if you're just sitting by a window and light is coming on one side one side of you is going to be in deep shade so you can improve that by putting a reflector so that's a very cheap way of doing good lighting if you've got a suitable window in a suitable position and you're lucky enough to have a fairly sunny day 
Beyond that, that the next step is what you and I have done is go for the, the softbox setup. Um, I would say that my setup is like yours. I have two main lights at 45 degree angles to myself and one overhead, which is nice to pick up the top of your head and show, you know, provides a, a little bit of a highlight on your head. I would say though mm-hmm. that the overhead light isn't absolutely needed. You can get away with two lights only. And also, in my room, the where, where I, I do most of my videos, the the ceiling is very low, and it's quite hard for me to get enough height to position the overhead light uh, in the correct place. So sometimes I've had to do all sorts of funny things, like, I, you know, I sit on a very, very low chair, for example, is one thing, uh, just to get enough height for mm. between me and the light. Other times I just do without the light, and it, it doesn't make a big difference. It's nice if you get the overhead light, but it's not, it's not essential. I'm moving on, I would say that there are more options on lights. Um, what I, what I've, my most recent investment in lighting are a couple of LED panels. Now, LED white, daylight rated LED panels for photography are increasingly what professionals are, are, are turning to. The disadvantage is that up to now they've been very, very expensive. Um, but I bought some on Amazon. It was from, uh, they made in China and they supplied direct from China to Britain to me. And in spite of that, the, the cost was not excessive. And they, they had, um, I think they cost about a, a couple of hundreds. They're more than my softbox like, but they weren't, as has been the case, they weren't thousands of pounds as, as has been the case, um, with, with professional quality LED panels up until quite recently. Very good quality, very happy with them. Um, the supplier w- was really helpful. You know, I, I checked all the details beforehand and um, the delivery was fast. They were delivered from China to Britain in, I think, about three or four days. And these have the, the great advantages that they're much, much smaller than a softbox light unit. The, the entire panel, I think, is about, one panel is about well, I'll say about eight inches by ten inches. Very small, very intense lighting, and they're controllable. So on the back, I can turn the brightness up and down just by rotating a knob. Mm-hmm. And as you probably know, with when you've got two uh, softbox type units providing lighting, if you go for the cheaper ones, they're not controllable. The more expensive ones are controllable. But the cheaper ones, you just get one intensity of lighting, and ideally to get a good lighting effect for when you're lighting a person speaking to the camera, one side should be more intensely lit than the other, so that one side of the face is slightly shaded. And with these these sort of LED panels, it's much easier to, to get that effect than with the softbox. Mm. So if you can afford it, they're a bit more expensive. Um, but if if that sort of controllability is what you're after, or that sort of portability, because they're certainly more easily portable. Uh, for example, if you wanted to, to record on site, if you're going, if you're doing a fitness course, saying you wanted to travel to a hall rather than do it at home or, or something like that, then the portability of the LED lighting might be a more important factor for you. So they're worth considering, but they are increasingly mm. dropping in price. So I think we'll see more availability of those sorts of panels at a more reasonable price in the coming years. Um, but they're, they're definitely worth thinking about. Well, that's something that I'd be very interested in as well, because as, as we know, softbox lighting is also quite bulky. And if you, if you, if you've got a problem with a room, if you're setting up in, in cramped conditions, then obviously those panels are going to be a lot easier to work with than these, uh, these big bulky softboxes. If if you can if you can afford the difference in price, I would go for the panels. Um, as I say, that there are there are some of these cheaper alternatives uh, coming on, you know, becoming available now. A couple of years ago, they would all have been so expensive that I think they'd be beyond the, the price range of of, of most uh, instructors, unless they're already you know earning a lot of money. But most beginning instructors. Um, they'd be on the price range, but that's changing now. So, so if it, it's worth considering that as a, as a possibility. Mm. Okay. We're coming towards the, the end of the call. You know, you've been very generous with your time. I just want to ask you very, very quickly, because 
one question always comes up to, and it's about screen recording software and, and video editing and just the, the software. There's a handful of packages out there, but for the PC and the Mac, what are your recommendations for, for screen recording and presentation software? I use pretty much exclusively Camtasia on, I've used it for years on Windows and I also use it on the Mac. The latest versions uh, have the advantage that the file format is, is transferable from one to the other. So it's more easy to record on a Mac and then edit it in Windows or vice versa. Um, there are all sorts of other competing packages. So I wouldn't say that, you know, that's absolutely essential. Um, you, you, again, I would start with the cheapest you can get away with. For most people, most of the time, a very simple screen recording package is going to be adequate. So most of the, the commercial packages available have some sort of time-limited download option that you can try it out for a week or two weeks or 30 days. Download it, try it, see if you get on with it. If it does what you want, that's, you know, that's fine. For most people, screencasting software, all, all it needs to do is to record from your screen um, and allow you to edit it. You do need some way of editing out all your mistakes, joining the, the bits together. You know, if you've recorded two sections each of one minute and you want to make a two-minute section from those two, you need to put them together and ideally have a few basic things like uh, transitions, that is, you know, sort of blends, fades, and and, and that sort of thing. But mm. the, the, the feature list of... A, a top-end package like Camtasia, probably more than, than most people really, really need. So again, don't be obsessed with getting, you know, the most expensive thing available. I would, I would just try a couple out and see if it does what you need. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you're saying, like the features of these, these products do go far and beyond what an instructor needs because while it's nice to have transitions, and, and especially if you if you are cutting, it's nice to sort of have a transition between two pieces, so you don't. Well, sometimes you know, hard cuts are effective as well, mm. but you don't. You also don't want to make your presentation overly flashy because then that can be sort of a bit uh, of a distraction and detract from what you're trying to teach. So I, I, I must admit that in, increasingly these days I use hard cuts more than transitions. I, I started off using transitions which is simple blends and, and fades from one clip to another but if you look at the way that, that hollywood films you know and tv uh, sh uh, programs that the way that they cut from one perspective to another all the time practically all the time it's a hard straight mm. cut and people don't yeah. notice that they used to the idea that you go straight from one person talking to another person talking to seeing their hands to seeing the you know, the, the scenery in the distance, you don't get all the blends, you don't get all the fancy transitions, you just get a hard cut. So transitions are occasionally useful, but as you say, it's very easy to overdo them and, and often keeping, you know, the simpler is the better. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so just quickly, is there anything that uh, you would like to mention that we haven't covered so far in the call? Um, well, you've mentioned my course I already have on... on um, on Udemy. Uh, it's just worth probably saying that I, I'm going to be doing another course on, on how to do videos. And it'll be taking, it'll be starting where the other, where the first course left off. Um, I haven't even started on this course yet, so I'm not plugging it. It's not ready. But <laughs> eventually, if you're interested, I will be doing mm. this. I've been over the last couple of years, I've been having a, a custom studio, a dedicated studio made. I mean, I've been, I've had, you know, people actually, some workmen preparing a room for me that's going to have all absolute clear white hard walls, no cluttered background. And I'm going to have that set aside so that I can go in there, the camera, the lighting, uh, the sound, everything's going to be set up. And so if I want to record something, I just turn it all on and start. I mean, that's been the big problem for me of doing it as I've been doing it in my little cluttered area between two rooms is every time I finish I have to put everything away and every time I want to record something I have to set it up get the camera set up position the lights mm. you know get the 
So yeah. I do my two-minute video, and I find it's taken me two hours in getting everything set up. I'm so, hearing you. <laughs> you know, it's surprising the amount of time it can take just getting everything ready. So that's been mm. the main impetus for me to decide that you know I, it, I'd be so much more productive if I have somewhere that is absolutely set aside to do nothing else but for me to make videos in. So I am going to be doing a, a course later on which will explain to people how to make the bridge from the entry-level type of course that I've explained in in the course that you've been mentioning into something that is more at a professional level. It's still not going to be, it's still not going to require that you spend an absolute fortune. I'm still not investing in, you know, high-end, um, you know, dedicated video equipment. For one thing, not only is it more expensive and more complicated than I need, but the more high-end your equipment, the more time it takes you to learn how to use it properly. And you, you know, even with my SLR camera, my, my Lumix, I probably don't know more than about 10% of the functions that it's got. I'm just, it is just so much more complicated than my cheaper camera. And the other thing that you have to bear in mind when you go for more complicated equipment is that that equipment, the more professional level equipment, assumes you've got a cameraman or camera person doing the videoing for you. They are going to be getting you in focus. They are be going to be making sure it's the correct white balance. They are going to be doing everything, assuming that what is being videoed is in front of the camera while they are making those adjustments. I can't do that. When I set up my camera, I then it then has to be ready to go without the subject in front of it, because the subject's me. I have to go from behind the camera, in front of the camera... Mm. And the camera just has to do, often I just put it onto autofocus and let it do all the automatic stuff. Um, because I just haven't, I just haven't got somebody to do that, to do all the settings on the camera for me. So that's another thing, you know, people need to bear in mind. It sounds great going for high end equipment, but the high end equipment is assuming that it has somebody that's going to do, take charge of all those settings. And it's not going to be the same person that, who's in front of the camera. The person behind the camera and the person in front of the camera are not one and the same. For most of us, for me certainly, it's just me. I'm the person talking to the camera, but I'm also the person controlling the camera. So often simplicity in a camera is, is more useful than, than complexity. Mm, very true. And at the end of the day, like, you just need to do what you need to do to get your message across to the student. So it student, just, it, you just have to make videos that are good enough. They, they, they have to be not irritating, not distracting. So mm. bad audio is irritating. Um, bad presentation. If people don't look at the camera, that can be irritating. You have to learn to look directly at the camera. Bad lighting. All those things can be irritating, but once you, you've got over that, once your lighting is okay, your camera video is, is, you know, at least HD, your presentation is at least, you know, adequate. It doesn't matter if you hum and haw or forget your words from time to time, but at least look at the camera, you know, and once you, once you've got that, that's good enough. Don't be obsessed with, with, with just buying more equipment because it's not going to make the course, it's very unlikely to make the course better, just getting better equipment. Um, mm. You know, make the best of what you've already got, I think, before even thinking about investing in more. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. And and what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a, a link to your how to teach on or how to create. What's the, uh, what's the name of it? I've lost it. How's that? <laughs> I can't <laughs> teach. It's called how to teach an, how, how to teach an online that, course. That's the one. Goodness gracious me! Okay, I'm going to put a link on the show notes so that the listeners can go there and just just click on and go straight over. Um, it's a it's a it's a very said so it's, it's a it's a good little course and it's uh, it's only nine dollars. So you know it's it's well worth the investment. Um, also. How can people learn more about you? If they want to find out, know some more about you, where should they go? Oh, uh, well, 
all over the place. Um, I do an online technical. It's, I, I regard it as an online magazine. I, I started it um, after I'd given up writing for conventional magazines, and it's called bitwisemag.com, B-I-T-W-I-S-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com, and that will have lots of technical articles and opinion articles, things about computing, programming, software, etc. That's one place. Uh, bitwisecourses.com is home for some of my courses, some of them of which are also on, on Udemy. Um, Oh, where else? On on Amazon, I've got my book is on Amazon about Ruby, which is um, which is called the Book of Ruby. That's for programmers, and I, I also publish some fiction books because I I do some writing when uh, when uh, I'm not working with computers as well. So they'll find those on Amazon. Uh, that's probably enough. You can, that's probably enough. I've got an odd, <laughs> to be honest, I've got an odd enough name that if you just search for Hugh, H-U-W, Collingbourne in Google, you'll find out more about me than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> I think yeah, I'm the only Hugh Collingbourne that Google knows about. Well, you know, can I say lucky you because if you Google Tim Cooper, <laughs> I think I'm on, on page, I don't know. <laughs> it, I tell you, it has advantages and disadvantages. <laughs> There are things you, probably would, people can find out about me that I wouldn't want them to, but they'll find them anyway. <laughs> I would, would really like to uh, sincerely thank you for, for your time today. You've, you, you've given your time freely and, and your information is absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and, and once again, just given so freely and the, I'm sure you've given my listeners some confidence to go out there and, and realize that they don't have to go and, and break the bank that they either will already have the equipment, say, most smartphones and, and whatever else, or just on a very, very small investment that there's something they can get for any budget yeah, and they can start yeah. producing their courses. Yeah. Just go, use what you've got. And for most people, they've, they've got enough to get started anyway. The one thing, as I keep saying, and I'll say it again, is make sure the audio is good. So you might need to get a better microphone. But uh, apart from that, just go ahead and do it. Awesome. Thank you, Hugh. And thank you for having me. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you from across all these miles. <laughs> yes, but yes, it's been wonderful. Well, I hope you found that interview full of useful information and that you now have the confidence to go out and start creating your courses and start creating your videos. Now, the show notes to this interview will be at ecoursedomination.com slash 08. That's ecoursedomination.com slash the number zero and the number eight, zero eight. And there will be links on there to Hughes' course, as well as links to some of the equipment that he discussed. So you can sort of just jump straight over to Amazon and, and check out the recommendations. Now, once again, I would sincerely like to thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. I know you've got heaps of options. I know you've got busy lives. So I really do appreciate you taking the time and listening to the information that I provide. If you would like to have anything answered, if you've got any questions at all, please don't hesitate to contact me at asktim at ecoursedomination.com. That's asktim at ecoursedomination.com. And please, if you like the content and you think it's valuable, can you pop over to iTunes, give us a rating and review, because this really helps to get the news out and, and help more people. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.